Hey, oh, everybody, time for another Shop Talk show. This is episode number 210, where we're going to be talking about design, something we probably should talk more about on Shop Talk show. It's such a big part. It's front-end design, really. Uh, 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 I love talking about design. I do design. We're going to be talking about talking about design, really. Uh, talking about design, as we'll, as we'll talk with our guests later in the show, is part of the package of design. It's really uh, inseparable from doing design. Is you're going to need to be able to sell your design, communicate about your design. So this is going to be about design thinking, design communication, and all that. We have some wonderful guests that are very qualified to guide us through that as we ask them lots of questions about, about that kind of topic. Topic. Uh, at the top of the show here, let me do our sponsors. We have Rollbar. That's rollbar.com slash shop talk show. Gets you where you need to go. It's all about error tracking on the web, a dashboard for your team for the errors that happen in your web app. Absolutely vital for web apps, if you ask me. Rollbar.com slash shop talk show gets you the bootstrap plan free for 90 days, which is extremely generous of them. We also have uh, O'Reilly's Velocity Conference. That's coming up the week of June 20th out in Santa Clara. California. Follow the link in the show notes to Velocity Conf. It's kind of the the speed freak conference, the performance conference, but there's so many great speakers. Speakers like uh, Bridget Kramhout, uh, uh, Catherine Daniels, Ilya uh, Grigorik, big names in in, in, in feed, uh, uh, speed, I mean, talking about container orchestration, DevOps, web performance. Oh, it's going to be a really, really good one. Have fun out there in Santa Clara, everybody. For now, Dave, please kick us off. It is Shop Talk Show. Shopper Maniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris, taking down NPM with one unpublished module, Coyer. How are you that doing, That was Chris? me. I did that. Left Chris, they call me. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing very good. I don't know that we have much to say about that. That was just the hot drama of the week. Uh, uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Pretty interesting little story. Maybe we can throw some links in the show notes. But let's not go there just yet because we have two uh, wonderful guests I'll introduce in a moment, Because uh, uh, which is a unique opportunity here on Shop Talk Show, I think, to talk about something that we often skirt around even though both of us do it and think about it and partake in it. And that's the the larger topic is just design at all. You know, we're this is a front-end development podcast, but we do design. Design is a part of front-end development, I would wager. Uh, and and we, we, we don't often get a chance to just sit there and talk about it and think about it and, and talk with people who have talked and thought about it a lot more than Dave and I have. And, uh, uh, and so Tom actually reached out because uh, we have uh, Mr. Tom Griever here. Hey, Tom. Hey, you guys. Good to be here. Thanks. Uh, normally, Dave would press a giant horn button, and it would race. There, there it is. Tom, you and I met at uh, one of the Madison conferences, the Ruby one, or UX yeah, Mad, right. maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah, Mad, Mad UX. Mad UX, yeah, it used to be UX. Branding change. Um yeah, that's that's lovely. It's a cool little uh, event in a in a, about design and design communication and, and and design decisions and things like that. And have a book out right now called Articulating Design Decisions. And uh, I thought that would be a pretty interesting thing to talk about, not just design, but talking about design as well, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So uh, in my experience as a designer and um, front end uh, coder type is that a lot of times we get in situations with. Stakeholders, whether it's you know a manager on our project or someone who it, like isn't a designer type um, or doesn't understand you know front end development and web design, and and we get into these conversations and we have we have a difficult time explaining why we did what we did in a way that uh, compels them to agree with us. And so sometimes what happens, I say sometimes it's actually quite common. People will ask us to make changes to stuff that maybe we disagree with or is going to you know result in in a poorer experience for the user. And we, I think we have to be better equipped to, to help people understand our decisions 
so that we can ultimately convince them that you know we're the experts and we can be trusted with those solutions and and hopefully not have to make changes or waste time kind of spinning our wheels going back to the drawing board. Yeah, interesting. There's I'm sure there's lots of stuff to talk about there. That's, that relates to all of our lives, I'm sure, in in, in unique ways. We also have Tom uh, recommended to you know we get some more people on to talk about this as we're doing this season on Shop Talk Show. We have uh, Christy Ennis Kloot. Did I get that right? You got it absolutely correct. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Uh, so, so Christy, what is your 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 role? Uh, it says, I mean, you're. I, I got your Twitter right. bio right here. Optimist, which I love, and right. uh, director of experience design at Visual Hero in Grand Rapids. That's correct. Yep. Um, so I, I lead a team here, at Visual Hero, kind of. And as I mentioned, we've recently been acquired by OST. That's o- Open Systems Technologies. So I've now have to. Um, navigate this new space as well so that we can connect even closer to development teams. So it's it's a whole new thing, whole new ball game, getting bigger, great things. <laughs> so Yeah. So what was yeah. the have you been with Visual Hero? I mean you were obviously there before this acquisition yep. and it was and for for a long time. Is it so previously, I mean I've come from consulting background thus far and leading other design teams and um, grown into kind of a more focused space with Visual Hero, and then for the last four years, we've I've been there building up our experience, and now with OST, we're, we've kind of got a a new space where we are working from business strategy, kind of what we've called data to design. Uh, sorry, design to data center. So it really is kind of working closer with an IT space as well, so we can see a product all the way through. Nice, nice. Yeah. So uh, you know. Experience design is is your is it self applied? Is that your official title there? Yeah, we we love to kind of move around titles as appropriate for the day, but yeah, that's 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 what we go with. Um, uh, and I've said, you know, it's it's really, I mean, we're kind of a very level set team, um, just kind of pulling where appropriate and modeling for the projects where appropriate. So, but trying to help Im- look at our practices and lead with the best cases. That's that's kind of my role to manage that and make sure we're kind of encouraging quality amongst us and oh. wonderful that seems yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have lots to talk about i'm sure yeah. so yeah um let me see i t- t- tom i have your book right here it begins with uh an anecdote kind of 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 a cold day in january and it's a story <laughs> of 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 you and and you have this very important person that you need to kind of impress in which to get the go ahead on a particular design project and it was so important that there was a meeting about that meeting and there was meetings about the meetings about the meetings <laughs> and there was there's just lots of talk about this because that person was so important to this and i thought where you were going in this anecdote was ugh wasn't that the worst i can't believe we have to do that can't we find a better way but that really wasn't where you went with it where you went was that's the job part of that t- talking is because those moments are important and and talking about our design is perhaps even more than 50% of doing the design itself. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and that particular story was about going to uh, present our designs to a CEO and I realized in the in the course of that 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 meeting with with the rest of the team and and everyone else that was involved because it was multiple kind of product teams and it was a big presentation and I realized all the hours that I was spending on creating mock-ups and putting them in slides and having meetings about meetings. I mean, we practiced the whole thing with a vice president like the week before, and then he would go through everything we said and like provide feedback on how he thought the CEO was going to respond. And and I I actually I had to travel for it too, so I had to fly out to San Francisco and spend a few nights in a hotel and all day in a conference room. And I'm looking around this conference room at all the people and all the designers and developers and managers and people in this room. And I thought, we, we I mean, I bet collectively all of us spent a, a, a week of our time, if not more, just getting ready for this one moment. And, and I think we, we underestimate just how important those interactions with um, people like a CEO are. And we may not all have like a big retail site. In this case, this is a big e-commerce site. We may not always all have those kinds of experiences where you've got 
someone at that level and there's a ton of people in the room. But even those hallway conversations that you have with your boss, right, or even like a daily design review that you, you might do or a stand-up meeting, like those are opportunities where someone else could come in and say, nope, we need to change this. No, I disagree. Um, why did you do it this way? I'm not sure it's the best way. And if we're not prepared, if we haven't taken, like you said, maybe even 50% of our time to think through that, uh, we can end up wasting even more time kind of having to go back and make those changes. So it, I, I think I spend probably about 50% of my time designing and 50% of my time explaining my designs to other people. I think it's easily 50%. Ooh, I can't wait to hear more. Christy, do you have experiences that echo that? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I say I, I spend my time running around looking busy and I, you know, you wonder what do you do? What is your output of the day? And all I've done is kind of manage those conversations as well, you know, trying to make sure we've got a shared understanding. That seems to be the focus of it, you know, kind of keeping everybody on board. <laughs> so, And everybody in this case is, is it, is it the, the clients or your own team as a, well or both? A little bit of both. And now with our new, um, combined role, it's about now I've got kind of closer access with the dev team and how can we get them involved early up front and have tech riding along as well so everybody understands the decisions or everybody can be on board with where we're going. So, yeah. Oof. I, yeah. I would think that's, <laughs> what about, you know, I don't know if, if you have a team, like, like how many people are in the office that you work with right now? Yeah. Is it For a me, lot? At Visual Hero, we're of 12 people. OST is about 160 people. <laughs> so, we're kind of a minor role to this much bigger thing, but um, for now we a while you were twelve though. Yep, but we've got things. I mean, I'll I'll tell you, we've got projects right now that are talking about IoT and how are we looking. You know, we need tech at the table to kind of discuss like where are we putting this data that we're collecting and what's what's the system that's going to house all this now. And so we're architecting everything and designing together. And there's so many business decisions with the client as well as you know just having everybody on the same page. So yeah, we don't. We don't hit the bump later or, or derail everything as we get going. So, is that is 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 everybody? I mean, is there, there's certain people I'm sure are on different projects or have different roles or different. Yeah. Do you try to like keep them up to speed as well? Is it is it kind of important? Is design communication useful not just for communicating to the client and to the people that are actively working on that team, but keeping the whole company on the same page as well? Absolutely. Like um, we try to even structure kind of critiques so that we can all see uh, either it's just about the design process. So we're all on board about how we may approach problems or uh, looking at where the opportunities are that we may have fallen off and it just keeps everybody in touch. So we feel like um, we have a, a pulse at what's happening and where we're going. Uh, but also thinking now, like trying to extend that, how do we grow this into this larger team and uh, looking at how can we get everybody else to feel this as well, you know, to see what this pulse feels like. It's a cultural thing as well as uh, trying to um, just help teach a little bit more design thinking and how it can be um brought through the an entire company that it's it's not just for design you know everybody should be thinking differently and looking at opportunities how do you feel about this 50 percent thing we've been throwing <laughs> around is that does that sound about right yeah that's that's i would say my role particularly as well yes that sounds about right like when we try to determine how much can i commit to a project it's it's usually like well okay i'm going to be doing this much time just managing the project but how much am i actually going to be hands hands involved um I, I always say like I have to have some kind of some kind of tinkering, you know, so I can keep myself grounded, you know. But um, that it does seem to be that's a good percent of the time. And as we look at how these projects grow, it it makes you feel a little uneasy about how far you can get pulled away from the work. But um, there's there's so much that yeah, being able to explain in front of a client exactly why we've made certain decisions. You, absolutely have to be involved and be tight to the work. So. I, I kind of want to ask Dave, because I think you you know just offhandedly mentioned the other day, because Dave, you work with big clients and talking about the work that you do is probably highly important. Are, you, it, it seemed like your comment made it seem like you're, you're a little closer to 100%. <laughs> yeah, the tables have turned. No, um, I think... <laughs> I think what I've realized is, is you know, there's there's this kind of uh, I, when I think of modern web development, we have all these cool tools and techniques and JavaScripts and everything to to build cool websites. But but what I find myself doing the most is, is talking uh, and and that that kind of meetings about meetings, whether it's you know something of 
I'm more on the development side. So it's something, if something of a design doesn't work out, it's like, okay, now I need to kind of figure out how to explain why this kind of doesn't work out. And kind of now I need to kind of show why it doesn't or explain in non-harsh terms, which maybe is not my skill. And uh, just trying to figure out what is, you know, I, I, so, you know, you're, I'm in a, a Google doc, like, typing things out for a whole morning or something just, just in that to me is modern day web development. And I'm trying to not be bummed out and I would love to kind of hear your experiences and, and how you kind of I find joy in. Talk. Is that, is that part of the, like Tom, is there people out there who, who can, who are great designers who just their their skill in talking about design just isn't there and that's okay or does that make them a worse designer if they can't talk well, yeah, and this is sort of the case that I make in the book is that the difference between a good designer and a great designer is in their ability to not only solve problems with design, but then to explain to someone else how their design solves that problem and that if you can't do that, um, ultimately, you're not, you're, your designs are not going to have the impact you expect them to, right? Your project is never going to be launched, right? It's not even, it's not even going to have the chance to like see the light of day if you can't help someone else that holds the key to your success, for example, um, approve your work so that it, it can it can actually go out there into into the world and, and make a difference. And I've seen I've seen a lot of designers who worked on stuff and had, were incredibly skilled and talented, had a whole lot of passion and empathy for the user. Like think of any buzzword that you want, and these people had it. But then when it came time to like you know show a vice president or, or, or an executive or someone else who, who had the control and ha- had the ability to like, uh, you know, approve or reject these budgets and, and projects, uh, stuff gets changed and stuff gets moved and projects get canceled and then we move on. Right. And I, I wouldn't say that you're a great designer if you created something that no one is ever going to see. <laughs> you're capped at good. You can, the <laughs> highest you can get yeah. is good. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's kind of the difference in some ways it's kind of the difference between being able to do something and being able to like teach someone, right? Often there's there's a there's a big difference between being able to just create something on your own. But I think you kind of take it to the next level when you can help someone else understand it and help maybe even help someone else understand um how to do it, right? You can talk about it in a way that's kind of in, intelligent. I I often um I often use the example of like a dancer, right? We could we, we could watch someone perform this beautiful dance, but afterwards, it, it's unlikely that that dancer will be able to tell us exactly why they moved the way they did, right? They have these muscle memories. They have kind of these instincts. And I think as designers and developers, we also have instincts, right? Okay, well, this is a, this is a common design pattern, or, or we know that this color works better than another, um, or this, you know, button should be over here instead of over there, right? We, we kind of cognitively know these things, but we're not always good at like connecting the dots about why that's going to make sense uh, for the user experience. And we, we're not good at then at communicating that to other people. And uh, we have to be better at that. We have to sort of make ourselves aware of why we do what we do so that we can explain it. Maybe you, if you can't explain it, maybe you just guessed. Like, and then that makes it not as good of a decision, you know, or you just follow the leader on something and that makes it kind of just arbitrary and not. And I, I look at it often too, is, um, I really like the idea that it's, it's about how we can turn around and sell it because it's not only us, but somebody else has to turn around and promote this as well. So what are you giving them as fuel to help promote your ideas? And so you got to give them a good story or something that's really sound that they can also ride along with and be able to feel like they can own it as well. It reminds me of I've heard of people that will like buy things on eBay and then and then like paint it or or maybe don't they don't even touch the object at all but they repost it and they repost it with like a story attached right, to it right. and they tell this big thing and then it sells for three times as much because people can really get behind the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's like some art that's very misunderstood that way, you know, unless it's got a good story. Well, and I think this is a good point, Christy, because one of the things that is common is for. Uh, you know, a, a stakeholder to leave a meeting. Um, and even if they ag- agreed to move forward with our proposals, if we didn't give them the ammunition and the information they needed to to understand our design decisions, then we risk them, you know, going 
to someone else. And someone else is going to see like the same first obvious thing that they saw too and say, well, gosh, I mean, why didn't, why didn't we put a monkey on it? And they're going to be like, Oh gosh, I I don't know. That's a good question. I'll, I'll send them a message right now. (laughs) You know, they're going to go home and talk to their spouse and their spouse is going to be like, Oh, you should do it this way. Right. I mean, that stuff happens. And, but if we give them the information that they need, then they're going to, in those situations, they're, they're going to be able to say, oh, well, you know, the reason that we did it this way is, and they'll be able to explain it too. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely about empowering other people uh, that, that may not have the same language that we do. Do you, how, do, how much do you have to control that message? The, I, I, I've heard an anecdote of a, I've never actually seen anybody do this, but I think there was an agency, God, maybe, maybe it was Carl Smith, I can't remember, but he'd say, instead of just sending somebody a link or, a, or, or, or whatever, like a PSD or something, we present our designs as like movies that you have to watch. Yep. And if you watch the movie, it will have, it will explain the design as well. So mm-hmm. That way, you know, because you're talking about design communication. Sure, you could write the most eloquent email of all time, but maybe they just forward the link to somebody else. Hey, look at this. And then your message is lost with a movie Absolutely. that it combines. Oh, it sounds like you've thought of that, Christine. Yeah, actually, um, so it kind of, did, I guess, where Tom and I connected is I was all about how can we better articulate our decisions. And so I took a kind of teaching to help me practice that of how can I better turn around and try and... Um, help explain this to other people of how we explain things. And one of the things we took on as a role in that class was to actually turn around and make a video of our projects. And given, I mean, this is student work, this is very um, early conception of ideas. So the it's funny, but we really didn't want to focus in on the high details of what the output was. So because that is an end deliverable for them was not going to be very full, but to be able to tell a story was even better. So we kind of created these little almost like startup pitches so we could explain what the concept was and tell the story with a video. And that was the output, which I thought was way more successful than actually having them come up with these designs and have them live on a piece of paper in a prototype because people wouldn't understand the purpose or why. So video was ultimately the best outcome. Yeah. Well, and I, so this is one of the most common questions I get is, well, how do you like communicate design decisions over email? Um, And my initial response is always, well, don't communicate design decisions over email. Just don't do that, first of all. But I think in in a world where so many people are working remotely now, and and even if you work in an office, you may have clients that are remote. Sometimes it's it's unavoidable that we are in these uh, situations where we have to kind of send them something. And so I think this concept of recording a video... uh, is 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 awesome and i've done it uh, many times before where I, I had no choice i wasn't able to present to them you know even over skype or hangouts i had to send them an email the problem that happens with with emails is you send them you know like this list of like okay here's the changes we made here's the stuff we did it, your email is either going to be way too long and they're not going to read it or it's going to be so short that you kind of miss out on the meat of it and then once they get it they're going to be in another meeting they're going to read the email, they're going to flip through the designs, and they're going to have this knee-jerk reaction where they're just going to reply and be like, oh, it's terrible, you should change this thing, right? And uh, what, so the, the great thing about like recording these videos is it forces people to wait until they're in an environment where they can actually watch it, right? They're not going to watch a video sitting at a conference table with another, at another meeting, Right, they're going to wait until they are actually in an environment where they can watch it, and then, the, but that forces them to kind of think about it. Then, right, then they have the chance to watch it and think about it before they reply. And I, I've done this where it's like a two-minute video, like it's just me with slides on a screen and my voice overlaid on top of it, just kind of doing a really short explanation of why we did what we did. And I, I have found it to be really effective too. This episode is brought to you in part by Rollbar. The URL we want to send you to is rollbar.com slash shop talk show, which they've generously provided uh, their bootstrap plan for free to shop talk show listeners for 90 days, three months. Pretty cool. You know who uses Rollbar? Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, tons more apps. It's all about error reporting. It's about error monitoring and tracking a big, nice dashboard for that for your app. You integrate it into your app, and then whenever your app errors out, problems happen, it goes over to the Rollbar dashboard, and you're notified about it. You can use their dashboard, which is super nice. Your whole team is there, and you can talk about the errors that happen and close them out and stuff like that. Or you can have them shipped over to your HipChat or your Slack or whatever, which is 
uh, uh, pretty nice, you know, it'd be like, uh, this error is ha we just pushed and now errors are happening and they're happening at this URL with this stack trace and we need to fix it like right now and that's over in Slack so your team is knowing about it and talking about it. Pretty darn vital, really. Uh, you really need to have some kind of error tracking system for your app, you know? You need to know when problems are happening. You can't just wait around and be like, oh, it looks like somebody on Twitter said that, like, something's broken or something in our app. That's kind of not good enough. You need, a, you need a real system to be reporting these and logging these and, and helping you figure out what's wrong, where it's wrong, when it's wrong, that type of, uh, of stuff. So rollbar.com slash shop talk show gets you the bootstrap plan so you can integrate error tracking into your app absolutely free for 90 days. That's 300,000 errors tracked for free. Give it a try. Here's would be my question. Are you, are you some kind of wizard or, or do you have magical powers? And is that why you need to talk and explain the design through words? You're casting a spell. Is that, is that uh, the, the purpose of the video or is it just it's just kind of to to kind of make focus and give more time to I'll, I'll add a thought here um i like to think i mean a good part of our work can come across as very subjective so trying to help people understand like tom had said you know what comes intuitively because of where we've been and the experience we've gained I think it, it really helps other people that it's some of these things too can be so ambiguous that they don't know how to even begin to wrap their minds around it. Um, so if we help give them those tools to help explain it and and be able to articulate it with them, I think it makes so much more of a difference. What what other I guess while we're on the topic, what are like other kind of strategies I guess that you find very successful in communicating your designs? Yeah, I'm like it, there's a big pool of options. Um, we've certainly carried across. Um, a couple projects where we've had to work with people nationally and how, or even internationally, you know, we had one client that was in California and the development um, team was in India and it was very complicated to be able to get them on board with um, trying to understand where we were and sharing documents and moving ideas along. Um, but we found that we had to do, um, it really was live video chats was the only way we could get together and kind of walk through the ideas. So we would have things up on the screen and sampling and walking through it as well as, yeah, doing just like we're doing now, <laughs> talking and walking through the ideas. Um, and then being able to capture all that and follow up um, so it was captured someplace. Yeah, I was going to say that that idea of, of capturing uh, your design decisions or having some sort of a log, I mean, that can be... It can be as simple as just like having of t taking good notes during your meetings, right? Kind of having, you know, here's the decision that we made. We're going to change this from that to this other thing. And here's why we did it. You know, we're going to write a sentence about why we did it. And I even recommend writing down the names of the people who were on board and maybe the people who were unsure about it, right? Because what I found is that, you know, three months from now, uh, there's going to be a new manager or there's going to be a new mandate or there's going to be a new goal, and you're going to come back to this one part of the project and everyone is going to go, why did we do this again? Does anyone remember why we made this choice? And if you're able, if you have those notes, you can go back and go, oh, well, on this date, these people said we should do it for this reason. And that doesn't mean you won't have to change it, but it's going to at least allow you to start that conversation from a better place. Yep. Um, I'll add, we've just as another project experience example, we've, we've got something where um, the work was done, research work was done two years ago, and, and we're trying to understand what led people to the MVP decisions that they're making today. Like, why are we deciding this is what's an MVP? And again, the research was done two years ago, but there's no straight line document of how those decisions were made. And so the value for us is even just trying to help make that walk and help um, package up those decisions and help document that um, just to get everybody on board and see that value and why that work was even done early on. So. Yeah, well, and and I and I would I think I would want to emphasize too that this this uh, carries over into development because a lot of times we we have we have like prototypes and we have wireframes and you know a PDF with you know kind of all the design requirements or whatever. But then even when we get to the implementation phase, we have to be good about moving those things over into the application itself. And so I know for like for us at uh, Bitovi where I work. We, we generate uh, style guides and API documentation for every project we build because if, at some point, once you actually start building that component or module or widget or whatever you want to call it, um, you need to include those design decisions 
and the kind of the rationale in that documentation, right? Okay, this widget is to be used in this context for this reason, and the re and we haven't done this way for for that reason because you're going to have developers come in the project later, and someone's going to come along and say, "Hey, we need a new page, and we want to reuse that widget," and they need to understand kind of what the use uh, is for that widget if they are going to be expected to implement. Well, uh, one thing I heard both of you say is you're kind of handing this off and showing it to stakeholders. When you say that, what, uh, how many people are we talking about? Cause I've been in situations where, you know, the, the, uh, guy who uh, squeegees the wall is also a stakeholder. Um, so what, I guess what, how do you weigh those opinions and how do you kind of handle those? But then I guess more even just broadly, how, how many people are, are stakeholders on an average project you're working on? Well, I don't understand why you're having someone squeegee your walls. First of all, David, I mean, I, I think there's I, I, a whole, well, I can't, I can't, I can't afford it. I can't afford it, but this company can and, the marker board walls I get. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, no, I think it, every project is kind of different, right. And every company is going to do it differently. It doesn't really matter the number of stakeholders, but I think what you're kind of pointing to, which is absolutely right, is that everybody is a designer now, right? Everybody, everybody has an opinion about how we should do what we do. And it's partly because of kind of the ubiquity of mobile devices and, and, and the ability to kind of consume digital products on a minute-by-minute minute basis. Everyone has had these experiences with apps on their phone, on their wrist, wherever. They're, they're, probably, they're probably participating in a, use, a different user experience on their phone at the same moment that they're talking to you about yours, right, and your project. And so people, people bring all of this stuff and kind of all of this, uh, these ideas from their head about what works and what doesn't work into these meetings. And that makes it even more important for us to be able to explain stuff to them that makes sense. Because otherwise, John is going to Google something on his phone and he's going to be like, hey, why don't we do it this way? And, and you, have to, you, know, you have to know how to tell him why that doesn't work or why what you're proposing does. And we've um, just to kind of give another way of looking at it too. We we tend to say we really like to have teams at the table that represent business, tech, and um, the users. Like who's going to speak for them, and whether it be us or we actually get them at the table. But all there has to be one person kind of really rallying this because um, you know we don't want to design by committee ideally. And so we really have the product owner or somebody that's going to lead the experience or lead like, what is this that we're bringing to market? You know? Um, so we try to make sure there is that one owner that is going to help rally all these groups. And if, um, we've said this too, that when we come to projects, we try to assess that even right from the beginning. If the client's not bringing that person, who are we going to bring or how are we going to help support them to bring what they don't have representing those areas? Like, like so, so we, people we need, at the table are a business person or like somebody mm -hmm. representing the business, somebody representing mm -hmm. development and somebody yep. representing the users plus and some kind of owner. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, okay. Yeah. Got so, it. And, or at least, you know, the owner kind of, or somebody kind of rallying this whole, all three together and helping drive those decisions. And so before we even get in an engagement, we try to assess what is the client bringing versus what we're bringing and how do we level out this team? So we, we know that there's kind of going to be that equal representation. Otherwise, you know, you'll find the gaps. So if nobody's addressed the business side, obviously there's some going to be some things that it'll never get to market because somebody hasn't represented the needs of what needs to come out over there. Um, or somebody hasn't um, recognized that they need to be at the table. So how do we help encourage that and get them there? Because there's going to be that gap and it won't make it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested a little bit in this. These meetings are complicated places mm -hmm. and different yeah. people excel at them and don't excel at them. And different personality types are meant for them and, and, <laughs> and such. And I'm thinking a little bit about the scale between like introversion and extroversion. Mm -hmm. it's, it kind of seems like somebody at a meeting who is very exuberant and pretty far along the spectrum towards extroversion might, might be able to be an asset or a, a, a problem at these things where, right. you know, have you, how do you like balance that? I mean, we, we do it in our studio, uh, that certainly that we know they're, they're, um, I mean, and for the most part, we try to make sure we've assessed that, that who's going to actually own this relationship with the client and manage the work. But we know, I mean, there are absolutely people that, um, you know, may not be appropriate to leave alone in front of the client, but, um, but they need to be there. They need to be heard. So we'll we'll have both there at the table. So um, at least the whole conversation is being heard by everybody. So, but we, you're absolutely right. Like you need to recognize that and go ahead and address it and bring somebody there that can 
can manage that relationship. Yeah, I, th- I think I would. I think I would add that it's tr- it's true that there are different personality types that are going to be sort of more naturally inclined to doing this, um, and mm-hmm. others others that won't. I probably sit more on the naturally inclined side of things. I like to talk and hear to hear myself talk, but there are other people who aren't good at that. And it's been my experience. And so this is actually partly why I wrote the book. I kind of wanted to look at my own experience and go, okay, well, if I am good at this, how can I help other people be good at it? And so the book provides a lot of like very specific suggestions and like messaging that you can even like actual phrases you can say in a meeting that will kind of help you mm-hmm. communicate this stuff. And um, my wife is very much on the introverted side. And so as we were kind of working, as I was working on the book and we would talk about it quite a bit, she was telling me how as an introvert, she just doesn't, she doesn't think of these kind of common ways of talking about stuff on a regular basis. And she had a friend, she was a participant, she was just sitting around in a conversation with a friend and she's never really sure quite how to introduce herself to someone that she doesn't know, right? Or if she can't remember their name, doesn't know their name. And her friend turned to this other person and said, oh, hi, I'm Rachel, by the way. And she, my wife, Hannah, said in that moment, she realized that's a really useful phrase. Like, oh, I'm Hannah, by the way. Like, as an introvert, she just doesn't have those tools naturally available to her to know what to say in those moments. And so I think this sort of can, can be that tool for people that maybe need more practice or kind of need a set of phrases um, that they can just kind of have at the ready. Like having, uh, having two people together that are, that are good at this. It makes me think, that, you know, or that complement each other's skills. That's what I was thinking about earlier. Yeah. I was like, can there be like a super designer and a super communicator and they're like a super team, like a little like Steve and Waz kind of thing? Or even yeah. like, you know, it's like Lenny and George from Of Mice and Men, you know? Like, like he's like, he can, he's strong, he can lift a bale, he, you know? <laughs> Well, that, well that's just, this is exactly why we have co-founders of companies like that, I think, right? Is because you have one who's really skilled in one, who, in one thing and one who's skilled in, in another. Sure, yeah. We, we do often do that. I would say that's pretty true. Like, well, that's why we build teams. I mean, it's not one person, you know, that can make – it's trying to ask for that unicorn. And I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, and I think sometimes it's about frequency of practice too, right? So um, someone else on, on our team at Batovi – was telling me recently that uh, you know he went into kind of a, a presentation and felt like he didn't do very well because it he realized it had been like six months since he last did it, and he realized that and and he can be good at it, but he has to be sure that he's kind of thinking about it on a regular basis and practicing more and more, and so he uh, signed up to be like to go to like a Toastmasters thing right where he could pra- actually kind of practice these things. He, he had an excuse to, to practice it. And he found for him, as long as he, you know, kind of kept his skills up there and kind of practiced more frequently, he was better when it actually came time to and, do those. And I think uh, Tom knows this. I'm, I personally find it my own personal challenge to enter speaker submissions, just myself too, to get out there and try and articulate what we do. It's like my practice round <laughs> to put out some thought. It sounds like that's some. Yeah. Earlier on, you were talking about doing some teaching, and the end yeah. result of that teaching was the movie kind of thing. What What yeah. was the context then? Um, so it, it's an introductory course to um, UX design for graphic design students, primarily some um, digital design students. But this is like the only course they get, and so it's um, an overview kind of survey class of how can you cover UX design in. Um, in one course, I mean, you know, that's that's too limited, but it's enough to kind of get them started, get them introduced to some of the processes. So, but um, to Tom's point too, even I remember a lot of the tool, tips and tools I picked up, I would say, really came from even my my previous job uh, working because it was more of an entrepreneurial setting. And I mean, we we always are, but um, even there particularly, we were it was housed inside of a product development team, or literally like industrial design product development. So we were putting um, UX design inside of more so embedded products. But it's it's such an interesting space out there because we had to look at how are we, I mean, I got more of a mentorship opportunity to help shape me of how can I pitch, how can I um, see where the opportunities are so I don't let something fall, you know. <laughs> so I, I felt like that, that was my opportunity to kind of learn from someone else. And I think what Tom had mentioned too is um, previously is, there's things in the book that call out um, or you'd think were obvious, but I'm going, if you haven't had that mentorship or that opportunity, they're not obvious, not at all. So 
and I'm trying to think of a few, but it's like, yeah, how do you how do you manage some of those conversations or how do you make sure you document and don't lose um, those opportunities of what could be next or how you could um, see where a project could go? You know, this show is brought to you in part by O'Reilly's Velocity Conference. Since 2008, Velocity has been the best place on Earth to learn about continuous delivery, DevOps, web operations, performance, you know, little things that we talk about a lot here on Shop Talk Show. Uh, at Velocity, you'll find practitioners, developers, sysadmins, ops pros, and others on the front lines of performance and operations, sharing stories of their successes, failures, and concrete technical solutions. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Velocity offers two days of hands-on, in-depth training courses and tutorials, followed by two days of sessions and keynotes. Uh, not to mention Velocity's legendary networking opportunities. It's coming up this 20th through 23rd in Santa Clara, California. If you're a listener of Shop Talk Show, which you are because you're listening to this, use the discount code ST25 to get 20% off registration of Velocity. That is a big chunk of change. Go check out Velocity again June 20th through 23rd. Act fast here in Santa Clara. California. So this design communication stuff, we've talked a lot about about so you know, yeah. you're a person, you're on a team and you're working on work for this client or these stakeholders and and about how you outgoing present it to mm-hmm. them. But there's also this whole other side of communication, right, which is listening to what they have to say. Is that mm-hmm. is there an equal amount of training that goes into that and thinking or is that uh uh I don't know, less of the story. That's, that's, I think, a little bit of where I was going with that, that there's, yeah, how do you listen to those key moments? And um, Tom, you've touched on these before, too, of um, where you can see opportunities of things that may be said in a meeting or may not be said in that meeting, that key touch point. But how do you don't miss those opportunities to pick up on those things? Yeah, I mean, like reading between the lines is really important Mm -hmm. because people people will come to the table with, you know, some sort of logic in their own head. And they, for, for one, they're going to have a difficult time describing what they think needs to be changed because may, they may not be designers or developers. Um, and so that complicates things. But then on top of that, there may be other stuff going on, you know, outside the room that we're just simply not aware of. And I think, I think anytime someone comes to one of our meetings and says, oh, everything has to change, or oh, the, you know, this, we're going to upset the apple cart over here, I think we need to like, take pause to kind of listen to what they're saying and understand. We, we have to work hard to uncover the real problem that they're trying to solve, right? And I think it's okay to just ask someone directly, okay, what, what problem are you trying to solve by suggesting this? Because it may be that the problems have changed. It may be that the business requirement has kind of changed a little bit. And people are gonna people are gonna show up and give you the solution. They're gonna give you all kinds of like prescriptive advice. Oh, you should move this over here and drop this down here and change this widget to a thing. And I, I think when that happens, we have to look into that moment and get them to talk to us more and uncover their thinking. We need them to explain it to us too. So it's it's a little bit of a, I mean, we're facilitating a conversation about design, right? We're not there, we're not there to just receive feedback. But we're there to help them explain themselves to us too, because if we if we don't take that time to kind of listen, hear what they're not saying, and kind of uncover these problems, then we're probably doomed to uh, just go kind of make these wholesale changes when there there may be a better way to solve those problems if we really understand where they're coming from. Like um, like to get kind of specific too, like a there may be a development issue that comes up that we may say, oh crap, we can't display that data in that way even though it might be the ideal case of how we'd like to, um, we have to then kind of work together to find how can we then come to a solution that answers both needs, right? How can we get creative in that space? I was just curious about this like this listening kind of thing. I mean, Dave, I know you work with some big clients, as I'm sure all, all of you all have, but is it is it, you know, when you walk into these meetings, is there do you do a lot of like reading between the lines and, and stuff like that? Or is are these fairly well-defined projects that are... And then you you just are the execution arm. Yeah, I I mean I like a lot of what has been said here. Um, I I think um, I learned recently that that there's also this kind of uh, context. Like I, I was in a meeting with a, a guy. He worked at the the company. We're contractors, and and he just knew how to speak 
company language and and just he just handled the meeting in in, in a beautiful way. He's just you know tell Kurt and Googs that this is going to get done and we're we got to do this and Alpha Quarter Q two fiscal year seventeen. Yeah, just just handled the meeting and and I think all everyone in my company was just sitting there like don't what what happened like like it it was a foreign language and it just but i think that you know the the kind of company culture too also affects you know how successful your designs or how anything goes through um i'm i'm kind of thinking of i'm always whenever i go into a meeting i'm always thinking of it kind of from a developer side and and that's typically usually very cynical or or just just in the like oh i'm going to have to code that, that what's that mean how many weeks of work how many story points on the kanban Jira is this, you know, and it's a lot of kind of like side processing that's going on. And, um, and, and I've kind of like picked up in the chat room, people are kind of, I think we skew more front end development kind of, uh, but people are kind of is expressing like what I, I'm curious to hear what happens if maybe you're the design team or the business team, uh, sold an idea or a design that is like, impossible or improbable or or like didn't have a mobile strategy at all in 2016 what in those situations what's kind of the response what should be done as a a team communicating i i I do take that as like i want to hear those issues personally i want to be able to help manage that so that we're not trying to set up a team to fail you know um and part of it may be, you know, that we need to say, hey, uh, stop scope creep or stop. You know, this is this needs to be addressed because it I mean, does it or question like, does that really meet our goals of what we're trying to achieve here by trying to go after this piece? Um, for instance, I mean, we've discovered things of like where there's a requirement for tablet kind of um, to address kind of a tablet user market. But we're learning there is no market for that out there. Why the hell are we even building it if nobody's going to be consuming it? Um, so kind of wondering, like, shouldn't we revert and address other things? that are more important, you know, or what, what can we do otherwise? So it was like somebody's pet feature became a a tenant (laughs) and now or a tent post. And now you're just like, there's no tent there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and I mean, we've been in some wonderful projects ourselves too, where it's like, there's, there's all these great things we really want to do for the experience, but we learn like, no, really there are some fixed constraints. And honestly, we love constraints just to say like, there's, we can get creative in there. There's ways that, but it's, I relate it. It's back to um, the person managing the project to really get their arms around it and help understand like how can, or, or ask like, yeah, why is this, where is this getting us towards our goal? Or what are you willing to invest? Are you really, is that really part of your goal to get there? You know, cause that's what it's going to take. Well, and I think sometimes what happens in these conversations um, is that d- designers aren't, they're not always kind of aware of, uh, you know the dif- difficulty on the implementation side, and they may be, um, you know, they may be kind of starry-eyed in terms of making that animation really cool, or, or making sure that this interaction slides in just right. And then when we, you know, when we get to the development and the implementation, someone, you know, we don't, we don't always hear back from uh, the developers. They, they know, okay, this is my job is to kind of take this and implement it. And either, as you said. David, they're kind of, you know, passive aggressively going, okay, how many story points is this going to be? How long is this going to take? Um, or they just, or they just come across as, oh, no, we can't do that. You know, we, we don't have, we don't have time for that. And I think there's an opportunity there for designers and developers in particular to come together. Cause I think, the, I think the developers have to be able to come to anyone else on the team and say, okay, you know what, this, this one particular thing that we've designed is going to take me 80% of my time but it's only going to incrementally improve this part of the experience or the product. So maybe there's another way, like instead, if we remove this one little piece over here, that's not going to require me to have to import this whole other library and do this other magic thing. Instead, it kind of works out of the box. And a lot of times there are those trade-offs. And I think being able to communicate trade-offs and being able to suggest alternatives um, is a far more effective way of helping people kind of come on board with what you think needs to be done as opposed to just, nope, I'm sorry, we can't do that. We don't have time. That's too difficult. Um, and that, then everyone kind of gets defensive and tries to kind of push right. their agenda. Right. I mean, my preference too is if I have 
an ability to have access to the team that's going to develop it is to have them be in on those critiques before I even get the client sold on it. But we are going in together to say like, yeah, that can be built. Yeah, that's not impossible. Or yeah, to be on board together. Very interesting. I think through all of our talking that we've done today so far, I mean, if, if, there's, if there's one takeaway, it's that it's that design is is more complicated than just <laughs> slinging pixels, as they say, or or however you want to put that, you know, kind of demeaning thing. It's it's <laughs> there's team stuff, there's communication stuff, there's talking to stakeholders, there's all this stuff. Um, we did start this, but, but Tom, you really do have a, a new book about this thing. So maybe Dave, do you want to do the wrap up stuff and yeah. offer our guests a <laughs> pitching opportunity? Yeah, I really appreciate coming on the show and talking about this. This is, I mean, I think this is everyone's daily life. This is everyone just is, we're, we're kind of all talking about websites because you can't build a website yourself. You have to involve other people. Um, I, you could build a website yourself, but it's super difficult, um, <laughs> especially at the scale we're talking. So I, I, I want to say thanks for taking your time out of the day and, and sharing your expertise. Um, but for people who aren't following you and giving you money, uh, let's, let's go around and discuss how people can do that. And then what's one thing you'd like to plug? Um, well, we'll start with Tom because Tom has a book. Uh, yeah, so I, I work for uh, Bitovi, uh, B-I-T-O-V-I dot com. I'm the UX director there, and we do all uh, front-end design and, and development. So you can uh, find me through Bitovi.com. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter, just Tom Griever, G-R-E-E-V-E-R. And uh, yeah, I, 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 wrote, I wrote a book called Articulating Design Decisions. It's published by uh, O'Reilly Media, you can buy it on, on Amazon or directly from O'Reilly. If you have like a Safari subscription, you get free access to it there. But uh, I think that um, even though the book in itself is is written uh, primarily for designers, because I'm, I'm a designer, uh, I work on a team of about 30 people and uh, about, about 23 of those people are developers. And so I think that the book has value um, kind of no matter where you are in the web design spectrum, I think it's it's valuable for all of us to kind of have a, a common framework to use when we when we talk about design with each other. And you got a parrot on your O'Reilly cover. <laughs> you know, it is actually it's actually a rose ringed parakeet. Rose ringed um, parakeet. Yeah, and you know the most common question I get people ask me did I do do I get to choose the animal on my O'Reilly book cover? And the answer is no. Uh, no I didn't get to choose. My joke is that I didn't even want it to be an animal book, but O'Reilly gave me the bird. Ah, <laughs> oh, hey, Christy, how you didn't you have much it? to say in that design decision, did you? No, <laughs> no not Hey-o. at all. Well, I'll, I'll plug real quick. Um, I think, as I mentioned in the beginning, I'm from Visual Hero, um, and now part of OST, Open Systems Technology, and. If you don't mind, I have three quick things I want to talk about. I'm, I'm a local leader here at IXDA GR. That's um, Interaction Design Association. And ladies that UX GR, also um, co-founder of that here in Grand Rapids. And I would say, I mean, in relation to this topic, we use ladies that UX in somewhat IXDA all the time for trying to, like, find how do we work through either, you know, our wicked problems, but also really these communication issues. Like, we call our ladies that UX really a support group. <laughs> how, how can we work through these things? So um, good opportunities there. And also just a quick plug of uh, um, I will be speaking soon at um, Great Lakes Software Excellence Conference um, about asking the right questions before you develop that mobile experience. So a few things. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this and your podcatcher of choice. Uh, Be sure to star heart favorite this up. That's how people find out about the show. Share it on the tweet ours. You can follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. And uh, be sure to, uh, if you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one because people want to hire you. Uh, And Chris, do we got anything else we need to say here? Mm -hmm. Shoptalkshow.com.